The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO, the lending partner with the products, people, and technology to serve your customers and help you grow your business in the best ways possible. It's why they say, at PennyMac, greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is Division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID number 35953. Loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Home sales fell in May as affordability keeps pushing out potential buyers. But then we just heard that mortgage originations went up last week, driven by a bump in, you guessed it, purchases. So how can originators help their client get through all the ups and downs of this market? I'm Mike Savino, head of multimedia for the Mortgage News Network. And today I'm joined by Daniel Jacobs. He's the founder and managing director of True Loan Mortgage. Dan, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So I guess before we sort of get into uh, some tips for people, how would you describe where we are in the market? Obviously, things have been awesome the last couple of years, bringing more people into the industry. So how would you describe things right now in June of 2022? Hmm. Well, certainly different than we had expected. I will tell you that. Um, look, I think there's um, there's a lot going on. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, anxiety and uncertainty given market conditions. Um, but the flip side of those market conditions are the underlying structural demand for home buying um, that is really causing um, uh, sales to continue to to tick up. And do you think that's um... What do you what do you think is driving that? Obviously, you know, people want to buy homes right now and they want to move out of cities and into other markets. But do you think there's other underlying factors like, hey, things aren't slowing down like I thought they would, so I might as well buy that home now? What what do you what are you hearing from people that that things just really aren't slowing down, even though we keep hearing signs that they will? So it's a, it's an interesting question because there's a, there's a lot of layers to that, right? Um, <clears throat> what we've got is like Wall Street, you know, people don't like uncertainty. And so once the Fed came out and went ahead and ripped the Band-Aid off, um, for some people, that caused them to exit the market. This is too much. It's a step too far. Other people became much more motivated. And they said, whoa, they're going to raise them again next month? I better go ahead and do this now and get off the fence. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, different reactions that people have to their media symbols. But when you really look at why do we continue to see home sales continue, even though rates have gone up and monthly payments are up 40 or 50% from what they were six months ago for the same house, we really have to go back in time about 34 years. And if you look at the birth rate and the rate of births and combined with the average age of the first time home buyer, um, it, it really tells the story. So, you know, most millennials, when they buy a home, they're buying their first home. Average age of first time home buyers is about 34. The birth rate kept going up and up and up. And let's face it, most builders stopped building during the Great Recession for enough time 
to where we now have a backlog. And how do you guide, um, you know, back to the point of uncertainty, how do you, how do you guide clients through this, you know, particularly, uh, you know, millennials who are trying to buy a home for the first time, and perhaps they've heard that it's stressful, but obviously we've never been in a market like this. How do you, how do you guide people through this process? Well, it's a good question because we do um, we do home buying seminars for millennials. We do a we call it real talk about millennial homeownership, and we do them almost monthly. We've been doing them for several years now, and um, and it's an education process, right? So it's really about educating um, a whole generation of prospective home buyers on what that process looks like, but without sales pressure. And it's so interesting because buying habits among different generations differ so so wildly. And millennials like to learn. They like to get information and understand it without feeling sales pressure. So, for example, we have people that have come to us that attended a seminar in 2019 in the, in the last three months. Said, I'm ready. And they buy, right? So it happens to be that tonight we're doing one of those seminars. We didn't do one last month. And... We were just talking about how the conversation is probably going to be a little bit different tonight because the focus is going to shift from the generalities of home ownership and home buying and wealth building to what's going on. Is this a bad time? Is this the worst time to buy or the best time to buy based on where I am in my life stage and wanting to build wealth? And if we talk again tomorrow, I can tell you how that's going to be different because I'm expecting the questions to be very, very different and really focused on the here and now with all the uncertainty. Don't miss the nation's largest show for successful mortgage pros. Originator Connect returns to Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, August 18th through the 21st. See us at OriginatorConnect.com. It's simply the greatest mortgage conference in the known universe. OriginatorConnect.com. Yeah. And that you're just walking them through the process. And then I'm sure you have to also brace them for, I mean, houses aren't staying on the market for that long, but what you could have afforded a couple of weeks ago may not be what you can afford now because of where prices are going, where rates are going. So I'm sure there's a lot of that too, right? When you get a customer in being upfront with them about, you know, this isn't the same market that your parents bought. Uh, and that's, that's exactly right. Um, it's It's so interesting because affordability on one hand continues to go down. Um, but on the other hand, um, you know, part of the equation is a lot of our clients we're finding out are, are, are getting higher than historical average raises at, at work. So, you know, they are making more money. Things cost more. Um, so whether inflation is seven or eight or 10% or whatever you want to, whatever it'll end up being, um, I mean, you know, we, we think of things in a vacuum. We look at uh, a home price costs this much more than it did six months ago. The payment is this much more. But um, but ultimately, if people are also benefiting from making more income, the affordability isn't as drastically worse, although it definitely is worse, but so is renting. And so what we try to do is to really help um, help prospective home buyers to put everything in perspective and really understand how it fits into their life. And look, for some people, renting is the right choice. You know what I'm saying? It just is. Um, but when you look at sort of the wealth building process of America, Americans, and when you understand that homeowners generate about 44 times the wealth of, of home uh, of renters, um, 
it, you know, the, the time is always now. In fact, the time is almost always yesterday or six months from now or two years before, except for that short window between 08 and 10. It's almost always you've already passed it, but it's almost always worse tomorrow. So it, it really comes down to the education process and getting people through the process of understanding that if you buy today and you build some wealth through this process and then you don't want to be tied down, you can rent that house out and move or you can sell it. Part of the the market being so hot as it is, is you're not stuck with that house for If in two years you decide you want to move across the country, you can probably sell the house or rent it um, for enough to make your payment. And those are the kinds of conversations that we like to have with clients to understand whether or not this is the right moment for them. That's an interesting point because I think the the fear with with prices um, is at some point they they're going to come back down or they're going to levelize and I might take a loss in a couple of years if I'm if I don't like this house. It sounds like you don't necessarily think that it will go it will correct itself that far back. I don't I don't and I think that there's good I think there's a good reason for people having that concern. Um, we 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 were not concerned about that enough in 06. We should have been concerned about. It. Now, I think people are too concerned about it because it's almost PTSD from that situation, right? And even with our first-time homebuyers, they didn't go through that themselves, but they watched their parents living through it. So they lived through it themselves, you know, indirectly um, in some ways, uh, in some ways very directly because some people, their parents lost their home, they had to move, they, you know, it was traumatic. So it's an understandable concern. But when you really sit down and go through the fundamentals of why home prices depreciated, it was because there were too many speculative loan types, too many speculative investors. We didn't have enough people to sleep in all the bedrooms in those houses that were being built. These houses are being built to flip before anyone ever lived in them. Completely different demand structure. The demand structure we have today is we actually have household formations that actually you're buying a house to sleep in the bedroom of it, not for an investment um, or a flip or a wealth building aside from through homeownership um, and your primary residence. It's very, very different. And so the whole demand structure has changed the dynamic of that. Now, we're not going to continue to see home appreciation rates like we've seen the last couple of years. But if an appreciation rate goes from 18% to 9% to 4%, that doesn't mean the house went down in value. It means it's the, the rate of increase in value has slowed down. And that is not the soundbite that the news reports because that's not sexy. When do you think the issue, you know, at some point you would think that the issue of, of home affordability would have to, I don't know if break is the right word, but things would obviously have to cool down. I mean, we're, more and more people are finding that, you know, the debt to income ratio is not in their favor if they're trying to buy a home right now. Um, and 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 it's going to have to come on the pricing side for a correction on home affordability because rates are not going to be going down. When do you think that that's going to happen? And do you think it's going to be a gradual as as more buyers come out of the market? We're seeing signs that more buyers are at least being more modest in their price increase requests. Do you, do you think what what do you think is going to happen with home affordability over the next couple of months? Um, I think over the coming months, people are going to. Um, they're, they're really just going to, instead of, some people are going to choose not to buy. They're just going to continue to rent. Those people, 
in large part are going to be um, dissatisfied because their rent's going to go up and then there's going to be some regret there. Um, I think what's going to happen is sort of the same thing that we had in the Great Recession, which is general shopping habits. Everyone downsized their shopping habits. So people that were going to Neiman Marcus started going to Macy's. People were going to Macy's started going to Target. People that went to Target started going to and so forth. You know, and so what I think is going to happen is people are just going to reset what their requirements are for the house if they really want to be a homeowner. And they're just going to buy a house that's $50,000 less. Um, we've gotten very used to having everything we wanted because everything was so accessible and so affordable. If you don't want, if you want to have control over your housing costs, buying is the only way to do that. And for those that realize that, they're going to go through that, that process of reassessing what they really need. We did this during COVID. People decided they needed a big yard. A condo wasn't okay. They needed to be out in the suburbs more. Well, conditions have changed. Now people are out and about with COVID again. And now affordability is down for the price point that they wanted. So now maybe they don't need as many rooms, as many square feet. Maybe they can have a smaller yard or move into a condo. And so I think we're just going to see people recalibrate what their goals are to fit what they can achieve. Right. Everyone will just move over to, to where's, sure. the, where's the best value. They'll eventually figure that out. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. After we wrapped up, Daniel had some advice for helping buyers avoid decisions that they might regret. We were still recording, so we decided to add that back in here. Oh, so, well, this is a little different than that one, but, you know, there's one, that, there's a thing that I talk about a lot for home buyers, um, and it's avoiding regret. <clears throat> so, you know, I think, um, particularly with COVID, we saw people jump into home buying um, as a knee-jerk reaction to this major life, you know, change. And we saw too many people that regretted what they bought uh, because they bought for the wrong reasons. We then um, see people regretting what they pay for a house um, or what they offer for a house. And, with, and even though the market has started to cool, it's still pretty hot in most markets. It's still multi-bid um, situations. So what we find is too many of our clients, um, they get frustrated and they make offers sort of out of fear of missing out. So what I've told our clients is, look, think about regret and make sure that you go into an offer that you won't have regret over. So there's two kinds, right? Offering too much, just being silly. Um, if you don't love the house, just don't even make an offer. If you think you have to be make a stupid offer, just kind of make the offers your best offer on the houses you really want. So you don't have that FOMO regret later because you might get it and then be like, ah, what did I do? The flip side is if you really love the house, um, you know, put your best foot forward um, and make the best, most aggressive offer you can that you don't think you'll regret. So in other words, if if you don't get the house and when you see later on that it sold for $5,000 more than you offer, are you going to regret not offering $5,000 more? If so, do it. Because that means you really love the house. Just get it, okay? If they accept it, you think, 
six months later, a month later, you might say, I'm not sure if I should have paid this for the house. Just don't make the offer. And, and that will help you reduce your, your uh, fatigue, the home buyer fatigue, because the fatigue comes from constantly being in the cycle of every weekend, trying to make an offer on a house and not getting it. So kind of take a step back, use the regret rule to avoid regret and you'll be more successful and less worn out in the process. It'll be more fun. We'll have your headlines right after this word. This podcast was brought to you by PennyMac TPO. Visit tpo.pennymac.com to learn more about becoming a partner and starting your journey to greatness. Here's your headlines for today, June 24th. Home affordability continues to fall, prompting an economist at Redfin to say it's reached an 11 on a scale of 10. Not only did pending home sales fall year over year during the four-week period ending June 19th, Redfin says its agents are seeing fewer requests for help from customers. That could be another sign that demand is falling. And delinquencies fell in May, down five basis points from April. It's the third straight month delinquencies fell, again setting a new record. Early stage delinquencies did rise a bit, but longer term delinquencies were way down. This has been The Principle, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by T.G. Kutamperor, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by Skygaze. You can find episodes of The Principal at www.mortgagenewsnetwork.com or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening.